Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring a chapter from The World's Strangest True Mysteries, Fate's Library of the Paranormal and the Unknown, The Best of Fate Magazine. Weird Mysteries that Defy the Laws of Science Do their answers lie in the unknown world beyond our senses? The fantastic but true accounts in this collection happened to real people who were average in every way but one. They had an experience that went beyond the normal and were drawn into the incredible world of the paranormal. Prophetic dreams, ghosts, spiritual healings, UFOs, psychic powers, witchcraft, hauntings, poltergeists, seances, firewalking, angels, curses, astral travel. What are the secrets of these phenomena? Will science ever understand the world beyond our senses? You'll find the startling answers in this exciting audio collection of authenticated articles from the pages of Fate. America's most famous, most widely read magazine dealing with the incredible world of the psychic, paranormal, and the occult. An extraordinary book, The World's Strangest True Mysteries, is filled with accounts of extraordinary people and occurrences for which the best minds of science can offer little or no explanation. And now for your listening pleasure... An excerpt from The World's Strangest True Mysteries. Who or What Was the Beast of Le Gévaudan? By Andrew E. Rothovius. Along the edge of the Auvergne Plateau in south-central France lies an eighty-mile stretch of rugged, mountainous country known as Le Gévaudan. Despite the relative nearness of such populous cities as Lyon and Toulouse, this area remains to a large extent isolated and primitive. Its hardy peasantry, struggling for generation after generation to wrest a living from the barren moors and ridges, is reputed as fearless and resolute a race as any in Europe. Yet there was an occasion two centuries ago when these brave folk were driven to despair by the depredations of a monstrous creature whose true nature is still a mystery. Known to historians as the beast of Le Gévaudan. It is usually described as an enormous wolf. It is quite true that wolves survived in the mountains of Le Gévaudan longer than anywhere else in France. They were hunted there much later than the time of the beast. However, the facts of the case, as given in the official records, cannot be satisfactorily accounted for on this supposition. In almost every instance, the beast tore out the heart of its victims and drank their blood, leaving the bodies otherwise untouched. It walked on its hind legs like a bear and peered in demoniac fashion through the windows of the homes its attacks had bereaved. These are not the normal actions of a wolf. The beast first made himself known in mid-July 1764, when a little girl of the village of Saint-Antienne-de-la-Gare, who had strayed from her task as shepherdess, was found dead with her heart torn out of her body. Within a few days, Five more children from nearby villages suffered similar fates. As news of these killings spread, panic flamed across Le Gévaudan. The alarmed peasants hurried to bring their sheep and cattle down from the mountain pastures, and with them the children who customarily tended them in the summer. 
no one as yet had seen the creature responsible for the ghastly murders, though many whispered the dread name, Lugaru, Werewolf. A few weeks passed without further attacks, and the district was beginning to quiet down. Then late in August, a peasant woman at Longonier reported she had seen an animal of terrifying appearance. It had frightened away her dogs, which were used to fighting wolves. But her cattle hid faced the monster with lowered horns, and it had then run off into the woods. Her description was so fantastic that she was laughed at and accused of imagining the incident. However, within a week or two, the child murders recommenced, the mysterious creature apparently having waited until the peasants got over their first alarm and again permitted their children to go unattended into the lonely pastures. Five more youngsters were found slain and mutilated, in the same way as the earlier victims had been mutilated. Soon thereafter, at the village of Julianier, a brave peasant named Jean-Pierre Pocher, well known for his courage, saw from his barn door one evening a strange creature walking down the road. Immediately guessing it to be the killer of the children, he seized his musket and fired at it. In the gathering dusk, his aim was poor, and the monster fled, apparently unhurt. The description he gave of it tallied closely with the report of the Langonier woman. It had walked upright like a man, and seemed to have something like horseshoes on its hind feet. As big as a large donkey, it had reddish hair, a snout resembling a pig's, an open mouth, short ears, and long tail with white tip. Portia further stated, in his report to the authorities, that before he fired at it, the monster had made various peculiar gestures with its front feet. Murder now became an almost daily occurrence. The beast began to attack groups of several persons. The survivors invariably agreed in describing their assailant as similar to the creature seen by Portia. At the village of Chanelea, it seized a child named Jean Panafleur. Several older lads, headed by one named André Portefeuille, attempted to rescue Jean. They attacked the monster with pitchforks and knives tied to long sticks. But after a desperate struggle, in which one other child was slain, and half of Jean's head was bitten away by the monster's teeth, it managed to escape. An appeal for help now was sent by the terrified peasantry to the royal court at Versailles. Louis XV, bored and restless during the interval between his two famous mistresses, Madame Pompadour and Du Barry, was receptive to the sensational news from Le Gévaudan. He gave the brave Portefeuille youth a commission and pension in the artillery, and dispatched a company of dragoons, or light cavalry, under Captain Duhamel, to hunt down the beast. Before the troops could arrive, the monster attacked and murdered a 14-year-old boy, Jean Chatuneuf, on January 15, 1765. As the boy's father sat mourning his child in his darkened home on the following evening, the beast placed its forepaws on the windowsill and glared in at him with a demoniac expression. The father shouted for help, but in the deepening winter dusk, the creature easily made off, mocking with antic gestures its frightened and half-hearted pursuers. Duhamel's dragoons reached Le Gévaudan early in February. They picked up the beast's tracks in the snow on the 6th. The next day they located it in a thicket and fired five shots at it. Giving a loud howl, it sprang up and ran into a dense underbrush where the soldiers, believing they had inflicted mortal wounds, did not choose to follow it. Close by, however, they found the mutilated body of a 14-year-old girl who had been missing for some time. The murders now ceased, and Captain Duhamel concluded that the beast had been slain. He departed with his troops. 
Hardly had they left, however, than another child was found killed and mutilated on March 4th. As the snows melted and the cattle again were led up into the mountain pastures, a renewed slaughter of child shepherds followed. Scarcely a day passed, in that terrible summer of 1765, without a child falling victim to the monster, now apparently fully recovered from its wounds. There is not a parish in the entire Le Gévaudan district, whose registers do not contain a long and dreadful list of children slain by the beast in that nightmare year. Bands of armed peasants scoured the mountains, killing more than one hundred wolves, but they never caught up with the murdering monster. New appeals for assistance were directed to Versailles, but, having discovered Dubois, Louis XV had lost interest in the mass tragedy in the remote province. Not until early in 1766, in response to urgent representations from his privy councillors, did he finally dispatch a second expedition, this time headed by his personal gun-bearer, Antoine. Instead of proceeding directly to Le Gévaudan, however, Antoine headed into the mountains of central Auvergne, where a great wolf had been reported. He tracked it down, shot it, and exhibited the pelt as belonging to the beast of Le Gévaudan. Then he returned to Versailles, where the court proclaimed the emergency at an end. Unfortunately, for the suffering Gévaudanois, nothing could have been further from the truth. Heedless of royal pronouncements, the beast continued its terrible ravages. As a result, Many villages were virtually abandoned when their inhabitants fled to other districts to escape the beast. In the late winter and early spring of 1767, the situation in Le Gévaudan reached a climax of horror and fear. Daily, the beast stalked through the villages, staring in at the windows and attacking those unlucky enough to be caught out in the streets. So demoralized had the once brave peasants become that none even dared fire at it, though it repeatedly presented itself as an open target. Finally, in the month of June, after almost three years of terror, the Marquis de Apche, a nobleman living on the western edge of the ravaged area, organized an immense posse of several hundred men and resolved not to rest until the beast had been killed. Fanning out in circles through the brush-covered countryside, they drove their quarry into an ever-narrowing area. On the evening of June 19th, the Marquis' huntsmen had the monster surrounded in a patch of open woods at Le Soigne du Vert. An old peasant, Jean Chastel, having loaded his musket with silver bullets, traditionally the only effective weapon against werewolves, had retired a little apart from the other hunters to read his prayer book when he saw the beast advancing toward him. Very calmly, he closed the prayer book, took off his reading spectacles, aimed his musket, and fired. The shot hit the beast in the chest, but it kept on coming. Chastel fired again. This time the silver bullet pierced the heart of the beast, which fell dead at his feet. His companions now ran up. Exclaiming with joy, they helped him lift up and examine the monstrous corpse that lay before them. Exactly what they saw has been a matter of dispute ever since. In the first report made to the authorities, several of the hunters are said to have remarked that the creature's peculiar feet, cropped ears, and great size made it certain that it could not have been a wolf. Nevertheless, a huge wolf carcass was paraded triumphantly through Le Gévaudan for two weeks. Then it was packed up in a case to be sent to Versailles as proof that the beast had, at last, actually been killed. The carcass soon started to putrefy in the midsummer heat, 
and had been carried only a small part of the long journey to Versailles when it became necessary to bury it. To compound the mystery, the official records fail, deliberately or otherwise, to name the precise spot at which this wolf, whether really the beast or not, was buried. In contrast, the place where Chastel shot the monster is still well known and always pointed out to tourists. The grass there has a reddish tinge and, according to local superstition, is never cropped by animals. A few miles away, at the parsonage of Saint-Martin-de-Bouchot, you can see the double-barreled gun, with its carved butt decorated with a silver plate bearing Chastel's name, from which the silver bullets were fired that killed the beast. It was at this parsonage a half-century ago that the late Abbey Pochet compiled a thick volume presenting the details, collected by him from the municipal and clerical records throughout Le Gévaudan, of each of the murders committed by the monster. Though the abbey was unable to offer any proof of the mysterious creature's true nature, he wished to bring the facts regarding it to public attention, especially in view of the misstatements made by Robert Louis Stevenson in the 1880s in his Travels with a Donkey. Traversing Le Gévaudan hurriedly, Stevenson picked up a garbled impression of the beast from the tales told around tavern firesides over a century after the event. He failed to clarify his picture by what seems to have been some sketchy background reading done afterward, mainly in an obscure historical novel on the subject by Ely Berthet. Stevenson describes the beast as the Napoleon of wolves, living ten months, actually almost three years, at free quarters in Gévaudan and Vivarais. It ate shepherdesses celebrated for their beauty, pursued armed horsemen, and was seen at noonday, chasing a post-coach and outrider on the high road, the latter fleeing at a gallop. The beast was placarded like a political offender, and ten thousand francs offered for his pelt, Stevenson continued. And yet it was only a common wolf. This statement cannot be supported by any official records, in spite of the anticlimactic exhibition of a wolf carcass purporting to be that which Chastel shot. There is more than a suggestion in official records that the truth about Chastel's real victim was too hideous to reveal publicly, that a wolf had to be hurriedly substituted as something concrete to prove that the weird killings at last had come to an end. What was the beast of Le Gévaudan, then? Was it actually a werewolf or vampire? one of the terrible undead who prey on the blood of the living and are vulnerable only to the silver bullets of superstitious legend. Could the beast have been an enormously powerful and sadistic maniac dressed in animal costume? After the lapse of two centuries, and with the vital evidence of the exact description of the creature shot by Chastel probably lost forever, no certain answer can be given. The last-named possibility, however, seems most consistent with the known facts particularly when it is remembered that the Avernier area was noted during the Middle Ages for its sorcerers, some of whom allegedly turned themselves into wolves at will. The strange beast may have been a last crazed inheritor of this tradition, slaking his sadistic bloodlust with the ripped-out hearts of hundreds of Gévaudanois children. We hope you enjoyed listening to this sample chapter from The World's Strangest True Mysteries. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.